Do you have a child in your family who might be a late talker? Well, my next speaker taught me that there's no need to worry. And what are some tips that you can do for them? Building spirituality, family, health, and business. This is The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant. Hello, Giant Builders. What an exciting day we have. I have been looking so forward to talking to Marcy, and I know that she's going to bring us so much information. This Today's speaker is Marcy from Ways of Communication. And hi, Marcy. How are you? Hi, I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk to your audience. Well, great. Well, tell us about yourself, please. So I call myself an intuitive speech language pathologist and language facilitation coach and consultant. And while that's a big mouthful, what I do is I have figured out over 30 plus years of working in the speech therapy world that parents and caregivers like grandmas are the best spoken language facilitators. And when I shifted my career about five years ago away from being a therapist, and started exclusively coaching parents and caregivers, that's when I saw the game-changing power that parents and caregivers have to both facilitate the development in spoken language that their kids are missing, but they also have the power to block it. So I've been really focusing on helping parents and caregivers understand their mindset of connection and facilitation with the child instead of trying to chase after diagnoses and therapies and remedies because there's a lot of noise about that coming out and about and how early diagnosis and early intervention and all of those things is so important. However, in my experience over 30 years, I realized that all those things do is stir up fear and worry in parents and caregivers. Here's the list of things that XYZ red flags mean your kid needs this or they do this. And it's all sales tactics, really, because I worked in that field and I saw how financially driven it was. And so I decided to leave it almost quit being a speech therapist completely because I had my own spiritual awakening and understanding of how I was going down a wrong track. It's not why I signed up to be a speech therapist was to help corporations and shift money from one place to another. It was really about empowering development and connection with parents and their kids. And the other thing that I realized is that there's a bigger message to all of this. These parents have been gifted the opportunity to have a child who's late in development of speech or reading or whatever they're late in development, attention, focus, so that that parent can learn how to see that from the child's perspective, understand their influence, and really make a change globally. Instead of giving away the power to professionals, they're taking it back as parents. Oh, that is so interesting. I really love that. Tell me, how do you help the parents use this intuition to motivate their kids to speak? So I remind them that they're already using it, you see. When parents have kids, they start communicating even before they're born with the mama, right? How does a mom know? The baby wants pickles or the baby's tired or I need to eat more protein. How does a mom know that intuitively? 
the baby's already energetically communicating with the parent. And then, of course, when they come out into the real world, they start using real world ways to communicate. And who knows that and understands that better than the mom or the primary caregiver? So it could be the nanny or the wet nurse. Or remember, decades and centuries ago, before there ever was a therapist, it was the people who cared for kids, who taught them everything, especially the basics like walking and talking. And so what I really realized is that it, it's important to get back to that mindset and away from the noise. So what I had to do was kind of set up a soapbox and start really making videos. And there's 600 videos on my YouTube channel because I know that today's mom is looking for solutions. If they're taking their kids to the therapies that I quit doing, they're dissatisfied the same way that I was. And they're going to YouTube and online to look for solutions. Now, many of them come looking for the next fix my kid, the next thing, the next pill, the next quick fix that they get. But if they find my channel, they're going to learn that the power lies with them. And I'm going to remind them with a one week challenge of swapping the prompting, just all in one week, you can find out how powerful you are just from watching my YouTube videos. And then what happens is the parents have a shift in their mindset. They might not appreciate what they've got in their late talking child yet, but what they do is they start to understand and accept that their child is communicating and it is their job as a parent. Oh no, it really is up to me that I've got to do this. And so what they do then is they turn on their learning cap. They throw out the old systems, they throw out the noise and they tune into their intuitive connection with their child that I just remind them is already going on 24 seven. And the older a child gets, the more sophisticated both the intuitive connection and the outward behavior get. So a child will grow up learning to just cry and scream for what they want. But then eventually as they get mobile, they can point or they can drag their parent around or they can push them towards things or they can bring them objects and things like that. And the parents see there's training going on in this whole process. The kids are training the parents to intuitively increase their guesswork, right? Because if a child's not able to talk, a mom is intuitively guessing 24-7. And so the trick here is to motivate both the mom and the child about the value of spoken language. Out of the fear of why it's not happening, just understanding and acceptance. And then I've developed a workbook that helps them systematically analyze not just how many words their kids are saying or how well they're following directions. Before they even start to look at those things, the first things they have to analyze are, number one, their connection with the child. Is this child even listening? Do they even want to be around the parent? Are they choosing to spend time with their primary teacher, who is their parent or caregiver, or are they just stuck in the situation with a caregiver who's not connecting with the child or a child who's not connecting with the caregiver because they're choosing, maybe the caregiver gave them a device or something like that to connect them with instead, or a nanny who doesn't speak the same language or something like that. Because remember back before there ever were teachers or nannies or people like that, kids relied on their primary caregivers. And if the primary caregiver does not accept the role of facilitating natural spoken language development, the child will look for it elsewhere. 
They'll look for it on their device. And these things won't stop talking to a child. So that's why I really, it's all about awareness and focus. You have all day with this child. Stop spending time booking appointments for them to go play with other people or learn from other people. Learn how yourself to maximize the time. And even if you work all day and you've got a nanny, maximize your nanny's time. Train your nanny to connect with that child. Show them the importance of this time of connection. Because the other thing that you have to evaluate before you even get into facilitating anything is your mindset as a facilitator. Are you stuck in worry? I hope he does this. My expectations are if he does it, why isn't he doing it? All about your power or your control over the child. And that's not what we're talking about at all. It's really about motivating a child to develop and evolve. So if your mindset is in a facilitator mindset where you're giving more training than you're expecting results. It's not like teachers who are teaching to the test or trying to get data or therapists who are trying to get so many words in a day. It's really about facilitating your child's motivation to learn not just from you as the primary caregiver, but from everyone in the world, because that's also the primary caregiver's job to teach a child how to be out in the world. Now, we had a problem over the past couple of years that deconnection, masking, separating kids from the store and the playground and all those places where they could learn from lots of people, that was normalized. And it was often replaced by dead space filled with devices or nannies or kids spending time alone with toys. They weren't with other people because their daycare was closed and their parents were working and all of those things happened. And you mentioned that you have a son in this primary target category who was a grandson who was supposed to be learning to talk during that time. And you mentioned still at three, he's not using words. Very limited words, but he definitely doesn't put sentences, sentences together. So right. what are some tips to for parents or grandparents in this in these types of situations? What what should we do or what should we be aware of? Parents are aware of the late talking. Obviously, grandparents are aware, too. Even you're like, what's this woman going to say that could potentially help me, right, with my grandson? Because we love these kids and we want to help them. But you see that there is a delay. So the first thing is I want you to consider your grandson just as a late talker. Don't start looking for what physiologically, neurologically, otherwise could be going on because we know there are environmental things that potentially contributed to this delay. And I don't know your grandson's situation, but it doesn't matter. Even if you were home with parents talking to you all day, you didn't. The, these kids, they didn't have a normal childhood social experience. Mm -hmm. And most of what kids learn that they pick up and use that other people hear doesn't usually come from their parents. It comes from their parents teach them the foundations of language, the basic vocabulary, and this is a nose and tickle tickle on your tummy. Those kinds of things come naturally for families. But when you see a child who is older, remember, we all sort of lost a couple of years here and these kids got older and they were learning. But still, if they're not using spoken language, 
that equivalates, you know, is equivalent to the things you know he has been learning because this child can, I'm sure, follow every direction that is needed. He's learned the routines of their family household. He understands how to treat siblings or his parents with kindness. And if he doesn't do those things, if he uses nonverbal communication that says, I'm mad and he slugs somebody, he's got parents around him to say, whoa, that's not how we communicate that thing. We use other things. Because remember, all of these kids are evolving. And if they haven't had the exposure they need to evolve their own communication from crying and screaming and dragging parents around to actually telling the stories of their life that they're knowing. And there's a big, big gap between how most people talk to late talkers than what they're thinking about and the stories and opinions and ideas. Because by the time a child hits three years old, they could be a chatterbox. They could be there thinking about why is this happening and how come that's happening and why can't I do it this way? They're coming up with their own ideas and they're inspired every day because they've got fresh out of the box brains by the things that they see. So if they're watching videos of superheroes, they want to be superheroes. If they're watching videos of animals, they either want to be animals or care for animals. That's how it goes with these kids. And the biggest trick is to dig into their passions because that's what they have been doing. While they've been detached from people in the world, they've been learning what they love. And so this is how I call reach and teach has to happen. First, you put yourself in the mindset of a language facilitator and you facilitate connection without control by giving more spoken language than you're expecting from this child. No prompting them to say things, no asking questions that you already know the answers to. For example, your grandson's what you walk in the room and he's playing with his trains and he's lining them up. And you go in and say, oh, hi, what are you doing? He's like, can't you see? Don't you have eyes? And you might be normally saying a question like that because you are encouraging and prompting a conversation. But this child is a late talker. He doesn't have access to the language to have a conversation. So instead, what you do is you know his passion. He's showing it to you. He's playing with the trains probably five hours a day if he could. You know what I mean? When they get into its dinosaurs or space or whatever, when you see them creating their own games and turning their toys into other toys that are on this theme, pay attention. And then what you do is you reach into that world, not by trying to control it, but trying to request permission to join it, right? Because nobody, if you're in your own world, doing your own thing that you're passionate about, you don't want somebody to come in and go, hey, can you teach me? Will you do that? And you're like, no, I'm facilitating my passion. I'm doing what I love. This is what kids do. And so what we're doing is facilitating that because kids will talk about what they love to talk about. That's probably true with your grandson. He, the words he does say are surrounding his passions. It could be his passion to eat. It could be his passion to go outside. It could be his passion for trains or dinosaurs or whatever. But those are the words that he motivated himself to shift 
from dragging the dinosaur into saying the word. And so the idea here is to every day analyze what are these topics? Because some of them are the child's passion, but also they're the necessities of your life. The things that remember for centuries, parents have been teaching kids. When you're in the kitchen, it's not just the food doesn't just arrive. You know, back in the old days, the child was involved in hunting and gathering and creating the food and fixing the food. They know where the food came from. These questions of why can I have hot dogs versus macaroni and cheese don't come up because that has been explained through the process. This is what we've caught. This is what we're creating. This is what we eat. This is what we're doing. And the child has, again, the same mindset we want from the parents, understanding and acceptance because that's the family's reality. We have mac and cheese. We're all eating mac and cheese. Where did the mac and cheese come from? If your child's involved in the process, they went to the store with you, they got it. And so this is your opportunity. If you're caring for this child, you get the grandma things. You get to do fun things that moms and dads don't have time for and you can give them up later. So I, if I were a parent, and I had a grandma like you, I would pass my child off to you frequently because I know that you would be motivated to connect with a facilitator mindset and help that child follow their passions or teach them something important like where does macaroni and cheese come from? You know, uh, either one of those things is valuable and that's what makes spoken language valuable. And that's when kids give up crying and screaming and dragging parents around and choose to decide to learn spoken language. And it happens remarkably quickly for these late talkers like your grandson because he understands a remarkable amount of spoken language. But I suspect because as he gets older, people in his world are getting more worried and they might say, oh, it's because of this or it's because of that or it's because of this. And they might have some understanding, but they have not accepted their role and responsibility in the process of how did we get here? It might have been the pandemic caused us to get out of these connected habits. It happened for most families on the planet. But the problem you see is when they go online or they go to the doctor or they go to the old systems, they these kids who are just late talking because they've had limited experiences of being a kid, they are judging them to be neurologically impaired and worrying these parents that these kids have autism or ADHD or some kind of thing because there is nothing in the books of speech therapy or psychology or pediatrician that accounts for environmental blockages of this pandemic level, right? There, we, There's lots of studies out now about how these children were suffering during the, the lockdowns from natural learning and from social experiences like going to schools and going, to, there's lots and lots of studies about it now. But the solutions that are being offered to the parents who are living it every day are things outside of the person who created the problem. It was these parents and caregivers who developed these habits with the kids who were stuck in nonverbal communication because they don't know what they know. And parents got distracted. And I really believe that those parents who are aware, willing to even investigate this concept 
of your intuition and how your intuition got you in trouble and how you can use it to get you out of trouble is just this message I think is so, so important right now. And that's why I think it's just perfect timing for me to be on your show. Oh, thanks. So is there a difference between like boys and girls with this late talking? I don't think so. I think it depends more on the environment. If you look only at the physiological ends of things, um, I think that there are a lot more boys being diagnosed than girls. There used to be. Now that every kid's being diagnosed, it's, you know, across the board. But if we look at sort of before pandemic, sort of thinking historically, because I've been doing this for five years and we had this problem before the pandemic, right? And again, the trend of labeling, diagnosing, to get funding, to get therapy. Therapy wouldn't pay without a diagnosis. So parents were getting in these diagnoses and because they're looking at physiological issues only, things that you can collect with data. But remember, back in the day, it was ADHD, let's give the kid a pill. And parents don't want to do that anymore. In the now, the um, the current recommendation for every single late talker, because remember, if they're not talking yet, they're using these nonverbal communications, and every one of them is on those lists of if your kid is nonverbally communicating, he probably has all these other things. But the reality is he's late talking, and he's using whatever he can. But what I started doing actually before this, with kids who do truly demonstrate issues like physiological issues such as true autism, which is, in my understanding, a very delayed auditory processing development, because the reality is we all have access, especially little kids, to neural plasticity. And from the very beginning of intervention, which is why early intervention is so important, but early programming to teach test reward is detrimental. And that's why these early therapies to push kids into those things is the real problem. And the solution is for parents to sort of just give that stuff up and take the responsibility back again. Again, before this was happening, if we had these real kids. So, for example, before the pandemic, I started working with a mom, did an interview with her. She's in Australia. Her daughter's corpus callosum is missing. Literally, the fibers that communicate the sides of her brain are not communicating. Now, her mother told her doctors or neurologists, this is a rare disorder. And the therapists say, well, we don't have any solutions for that. The neurologists say neuroplasticity is real. And if you continually work with your child, she will get there. It might take longer. She might have to find a new way, but she will get there. And so I never believed that I was going to be able to help a child just through coaching their parent. But that was the one case that proved how important it is for a parent to have daily intervention. Because if we are truly creating neuroplasticity, because these lay talkers, their auditory processing development is delayed. It requires visual faces. It requires a complex exposure to real humans talking to develop this complex neurological system. Now, kids naturally activate neuroplasticity through movement, through music, 
through crossing midline, through doing physical challenges, through testing physics. They constantly activate related neural pathways that contribute to their auditory processing. So my big trick is let them move while you talk to them. Let them sing or listen to music while you talk to them to activate the neural activity that all of these kids are delayed in. So yeah, they can get a diagnosis of delay because that's what spoken language doesn't come from birth. <laughs> it is a developmental skill. And without the correct exposure, think of a deaf child. Without hearing speech, they have to learn to use a visual system. These kids didn't see or hear the the energetics of speech. We don't realize how many as that say a whole sentence we all use. How many how many side words glances mean a whole story with someone who's connected and remembering like you're listening to something on the television, you sit next to your spouse, you hear something that reminds you of an experience that the two of you shared before, a connected experience that nobody else would know about. All you have to do is look at that person and the story replays in your brain. And this is just what's happening anyway with communication, but these evidence-based and by the book methods don't tap into it at all. In fact, they tell parents who are feeling these things and they go and they tell the therapist, yes, but I know he understands me. And they're like, no, no, no. He's acting like a five or six month old. I had a mom just tell me that her three-year-old was had the mental age of a five or six month old baby, which is impossible, impossible. But that's what the standard test said. Can you give me an idea of the type of conversations or questions to ask with a light talker? Yeah, so this is what I would call a strategy, right? How do you start to facilitate um, the, or what do you give them? What should you give them when you see them? So there's two ways to go about this. Number one is to respond. So whenever he comes to you, um, to, well, first of all, tell me, how does he communicate if he wants something, for example? He will either bring something to you or take your hand and take you to something. Okay, great. So reality is before he ever did that communication behavior, which is a real communication behavior that says, Grandma, I want you to give me this thing right? It's a whole command that he is saying. And before he even came to you, he was thinking something. Maybe it was a snack that he was asking you for. So he was thinking, he was playing on his own and he said, hmm, I'm hungry or I want to eat some chocolate or I'm, you know, he had it. He had an idea came to his mind and he came to you. Maybe you were doing something else and drug you into the kitchen. So your intuition is already kicking in. You know, ooh, you must be hungry. You, and then what he takes you to is you, you want lunch or you want a snack or you want a treat or you want Nana's favorite cookies or whatever he takes you to. 
that's both of those statements are extra spoken language that I bet you you're not always using, right? You might be saying, okay, I'll give you a snack because he's already done a brilliant job communicating to you exactly what snack, Nana's favorite cookies that he told you he wanted because he said, because you said, would you like this? Would you like this? Would you like this? Would you like this? And he just said, no, 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 no. Be until you get there. So how you want to convert this? Ultimately, we're evolving the same situation, right? He first he starts with dragging you, and then you're like, oh, wait a minute. You just kind of stop for a second, because remember he's in the habit of directing you to respond non-verbally through visual means. So. What you're going to do is you're going to turn all of your ideas and thoughts into just speak about it. Oh, you must be hungry because you remember you thought that he must be hungry. So say it. You must be hungry. You want me to give you a snack. This is the big part that you have to say a lot of times because he's not going to say, grandma, give me a snack. He's going to say, give, give snack. Grandma give, he's not going to use that whole sentence, but if you give him a whole sentence, it will be enough context in there for him to understand the words he does know, which are give and snack and grandma. You know what I mean? So he doesn't know even the name for Nana's special cookies until you say, oh, you want Nana to give you Nana's special cookies. Okay. And then here's the next trick. You talk about the process. First of all, you say why it is a good idea or why it's not a good idea. So because sometimes you can't always get what you want. So you're like, oh, a snack is a good idea. And Nana made her special cookies or uh-oh, you're asking Nana to give you cookies, but we haven't had lunch. I have a good idea. Now is not time for cookies. We'll have lunch, and then after lunch, we can have cookies. Now, that was a lot of talking, right? It was a lot of talking. But your three-year-old grandson can clearly understand it, especially when it is about the snack that he wants to eat. And again, if before you said no cookie and then you got a meltdown, now you have the opportunity to avoid the meltdown to explain this is contracts. This is understanding boundaries and rules and things that parents and nanas teach, right? So this is what we do is we show the child, this is how it works at my house. We have lunch and then we have cookies. Let you now engage in that process will you help me make lunch will you you know participate in this thing because he wants the outcome and your job is to motivate him to connect and participate not just give him what he's asking because that's the current habit right is you just are so good at knowing what it is and the thing also that's true right now is that there's a lot of frustration because there's ideas that he gets from other people that he brings to you non-verbally. You can't read his mind or know about the things that his parents know about. And his parents have that same problem if he learns something cool at Nana's house that he can't share at home. He's going to be more and more frustrated by two things. Number one, other people not understanding and reading his mind because you've demonstrated that you can do that. And number two why aren't people giving him more information? 
Why are they talking to him like a baby? Why don't they think that he can believe and understand boundaries and process? Why do they just take things away without explaining why he can't have it now and when he can have it again? Because remember, if you take something away, your dinner, and they say, I'm taking this now, before you're done eating, all you can think about is, I wasn't finished. I want more. Why can, did you take it away from me? It, is it bad for me? Will it hurt me? And then even if it does, why did you give it to me in the first place? So all of these whys are going on. Think about the terrible twos and threes. Why, mama? Why, mama? Why, mama? Just because a child isn't using spoken language, they're clearly begging people to understand. So if you see an increase in frustration, then you have to step up your level of emotional intelligence with this child and talk to them like they're going to college someday and talk to them like they like they with the language they need to learn from right instead of the language you hope that they'll say because if they knew it they would be using it they just didn't learn it because they weren't exposed to it and the kicker about this is if you make a shift and swap away from asking questions and just start talking about why and how things are happening in your process, as you wash dishes, as you potty train, as you whatever you do. And this is really true even for people who you're caring for on the adult end of the spectrum. So my mother had Lewy body dementia and it was very, very important in the moment that I explained to her why I was doing everything because she forgot why it was important to stand up straight because she falls over when she leans, why it was important for her to continue to use her walker because she forgot that her legs weren't working, okay? So I always, when she understood why, it wasn't just do this because you need this walker because falling down sends you to the hospital and we don't wanna go to the hospital. It literally, and I use the same with my children when they're jumping on the furniture when they were young, I said, look, I don't have time to go to the hospital today. You're going to have to control yourself so you don't get hurt. You give the responsibility back to these kids for development and understanding what it's about. And that's the secret. So it's not about asking questions or prompting them to talk more. It's patience and trust that you are projecting and giving enough speech that these kids are learning enough from it that they'll pick up the words and evolve it from, you know, nonverbal to cookie or snack or nana snack or cookie snack and then when they give you a little bit more you give them a lot oh you want me to give you nana special cookie snack and they're like yes 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 now you understand now you get it this is what i need and they'll connect you like glue when you start talking to them like that because they've been waiting to hear this kind of language they missed it overhearing people at the grocery store and watching other kids on the playground who could talk better than them. And that's the other problem is these kids are being sent to school without spoken language and they don't know. They're just learning now from the kids at school and teachers are expecting them to have the same language that typical kids do at that age. And they're like, oh, we must have impairment. Like I said, it, it just, they just get shoved down that other thing. So once again, it just comes back. It's easier than you think. And it happens so fast because when you do this two to three hours, so you pick four times a day, 
that you're just going to really dig in and talk with this kid. There are activities that you start, mealtime, activities that they start, train table time, while you're riding in the car, while you're visiting the zoo, while you're doing whatever. That activity you choose to put on a language facilitator mindset, start having conversations as if this child could understand everything and the speech will come. That's wonderful. I have now got a whole new conversations in my head. <laughs> yeah, and all the things that you wanted to say, but you didn't believe he could understand because you were also assuming, and it happened, it's so interesting. When I went to Australia, I visited these five families. I'd never seen their kids in person, only on video. And I work with their parents, not their kids. So I didn't even have Zoom meetings with the kids. I was only counseling parents. But what they did was they would send me videos of them interacting with their kids. And then I would say, oh, there's those questions coming back again. There's those prompts coming back again. And, and then I also teach them as the kids start talking, because all these kids are talking now, and they're showing their parents the language that they want with speech. So if a child is repeating a story over and over and over and over again, and a parent, instead of shutting them down, they need to dig into that story and talk about the details of that story. And that's how the child will stop obsessing. They're, they're asking you to teach them over and over when they reflect this thing over and over. That's why their passions are your avenue in. Any closing thoughts? If you're a parent or a grandparent of a child who's not talking yet, there's just so much you can do. And you're so powerful in the process. Just really know that and relax because... Um, the more urgent you are in this process of, I've got to hurry to get these things. Remember that, that feels like energy coming in from desperate people who want you to pay them money. Anything that you invest in about this process should empower you and this child. Any school you choose, any nanny you choose, any caregiver you choose, that should be the first criteria is just to really empower the child. As a matter of fact, I just did an interview with a gal on, who found my client through care.com and she's an autistic adult who is now serving as a part-time language facilitator slash nanny with this late talking boy who's nine years old. And because of this time with a like-minded, caring person who's also not the parents, um, that's why grandparents have a very strong power in this because you don't have the same mommy factor. You can leave the kids. Um, just take advantage of your time. Ask for time over. Record your time with your kids and then share that with um, the parents because I think that they can learn from watching a true connected interaction, maybe old school, think back to the old days about how parents used to teach kids and incorporate the whole family, right? Uh, the countries where people are living in India, where the it's normal to have blended families, where there's lots of people in the household for the child to learn from, it's just normal to send someone off 
only if it's something you can't teach. So I can't make this recipe, but auntie can. So she's going to teach you how to make these cookies. Or I don't know how to fix cars, but uncle can. So you're going to spend the afternoon with him. And grandmas and grandpas and uncles and nannies and people who are in the caregiving world. It's just really fine people who are not so by the book, who haven't had training and child developments and all that stuff, but who are willing to connect and adopt a facilitator mindset. And if you are interested to learn how that goes, I have a website, it's called Waves of Communication, Waves Like the Ocean, just in case, because I know a lot of people misunderstand. And wavesofcommunication.com, I have a newsletter, I have free a free 90 minute class, and there are 600 videos on YouTube that you can learn from to show yourself how powerful you are. And if you're interested in coaching, I have coaching programs all the way from one-time video analysis all the way through lifetime guidance to get you through the short period of time, which is remarkably short, that goes from nonverbal to chatterbox. Oh, there you go. <laughs> then you'll be asking your child to just sit down and be quiet. <laughs> I, I I have parents happily telling me that that is their reality now. And I know that that's what these parents want. Yes. Oh, thank you, Marcy. That was such great information. I am very pleased the communication I will be having with my grandson. So Yeah. And you know what? Maybe in six months time, if you get him talking, you can come back as a guest on my show and talk about your experience with language facilitation. That would be awesome. That's a deal. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you, Giant Builders. Make sure to check the links below and make sure to share this with anybody who might have a light talker. So thanks, Giant Builders. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. This has been The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant.